Good afternoon, and thank you for joining Atlassian's earnings conference call for the fourth quarter and full fiscal year 2022. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded and will be available for replay from the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website following this call. I will now hand the call over to Martin Lamb, Atlassian's Head of Investor Relations. Welcome to Atlassian's fourth quarter and full fiscal year 2022 earnings call. Thank you for joining us today. Joining me on the call today, we have Atlassian's co-founders and co-CEOs, Scott Farquhar, Mike Kennan-Brooks, and our Chief Revenue Officer, Cameron Deitch. Earlier today, we published a shareholder letter and press release with our financial results and commentary for our fourth quarter and full fiscal year 2022. The shareholder letter is available on Atlassian's work-life blog and investor relations section of our website, where you will also find other earning-related material, including the earnings press release and supplemental investor data sheet. As always, our shareholder letter contains management's insight and commentary for the quarter. So during the call today, we'll have brief opening remarks and then focus our time on Q&A. This call will include forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. You should not look upon forward-looking statements as predictions of future events. Forward-looking statements represent our management's beliefs and assumptions only as if such such statements were made and we assume no obligation to update or revise such statements should they change or cease to be current. Further information on these and other factors that could affect the company's financial results is included in filings we make with the Securities and Exchange Commission from time to time, including the section titled Risk Factors in our most recent Form 20F and Quarterly Form 6K. During today's call, we will also discuss non-IFRS financial measures. These non-IFRS financial measures are in addition to and are not a substitute for or superior to measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with IFRS. A reconciliation between IFRS and non-IFRS financial measures is available in our shareholder letter, earnings release, and investor data sheet on the IR website. Please keep in mind that we'd like to allow as many of you to participate in Q&A as possible. To facilitate that, we'll take one question at a time. Please rejoin the queue if you have a follow-up or another question, and we'll do our best to come back to you later in the session. With that, I'll turn the call over to Scott for opening remarks. Thank you for joining us today. As you've already read in our shareholder letter, we ended fiscal 2022 with strong Q4 results across all three of our markets, Agile and DevOps, ITSM, and Work Management. Cloud revenue grew by 55% year-over-year in Q4 and ended the year with over 242,000 customers. Atlassian is uniquely positioned having great momentum and a differentiated business model. Now, while we can't predict what the future holds at a macro level, we're forging ahead with conviction and vigilance as we look to continue to fuel durable growth over the long term and deepen our strategic advantages. We're incredibly proud of the way we continue to execute against our long-term goals, and we're excited to take this momentum into fiscal 2023. I also want to take this time to mention that this quarter, I am operating as interim CFO. This will be my first and last earnings call as interim CFO as we welcome Joe Bins as our incoming CFO. We are so excited to bring Joe on and introduce him to you in the next earnings call next quarter. With that, I'll pass the call to the operator for questions and answers. We will now begin the question and answer session. 
If you have a question, please slowly press star, followed by the one on your phone. If you'd like to withdraw from the queue, please press star, followed by the two. Your first question comes from Fatima Balani from City. Please go ahead. Hey, everyone. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, just um, one around the um, uh, cloud growth expectations for fiscal 23 that you've reiterated, which is very encouraging, uh, as well as the reiteration of the magnitude of um, migration impacts to that cloud growth. What I'm curious about is when you think about the fiscal 24 dynamic, which is similar to fiscal 23, how much of the migratory impact from the prior year, i.e. fiscal 23, uh, what type of purchasing or expansion behavior from those migrated customers are you expecting in the base in fiscal 24? Right, uh, Scott here um, answering that question. Uh, as we mentioned uh, previously in our investor day uh, in a few months ago and reiterating now on this earnings call, we expect cloud growth to be approximately 50% year-on-year for FY23 and FY24, and so that remains the same. We've also said that the high single digits uh, of, of that growth comes from migrations in any uh, given year, and so we expect, again, that to continue. Um, we haven't uh, looked in terms of the FY24 dynamic of how that uh, goes. We what we do see, though, is our migrating customers um, expand at a similar rate uh, to the customers we have in our existing instances. And uh, we've also stated that previously we have a net expansion rate of 130% in cloud and 140% for our larger customers uh, in cloud. And so that, that's the, all I can give you on that at this stage. I appreciate it. Just to clarify. Just to clarify, um, we're expecting 10 points of growth, up to 50% growth uh, in, in cloud for the next two years. Understood. Thank you. I'll jump back in queue. Your next question comes from Michael Turin from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead, Michael. Hey, great. Um, thanks, and congrats on a strong end of the fiscal year. Scott, I know we won't see it often, but nice suit photo. Uh, very CFO uh, within the materials as well. Um, there's a great stat you emphasize just in the letter on 90% of fiscal year revenue coming from, we know you've generally always run a consistent long-term playbook. So just wondering, is that number fairly consistent with prior periods? And then on the other side of that, if we do see some moderation of the newer cohorts, are you confident that there's a catch-up with the newer cohorts you're landing can similarly contribute to the model as, as you work through it, just given the experience and, and expertise you've gathered there. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the, for the compliments on how good I work on the suit. I appreciate that. Um, and you're right, you, we won't quickly get that too often in the future. Uh, we said uh, historically, yes, that 90% of our revenue in any given year comes from our existing customers. And we were chatting before on this uh, call that uh, that if you think about the results we're getting this year, uh, there seeds we planted years ago and the seeds we're planting this year, you know, come to bloom, at, you know, in the years uh, henceforth. And so this is not a business where we are, you know, trying to have a very expensive enterprise sales force, you know, reduce a particular number in a particular period. We think very carefully about the long-term, you know, return characteristics of all 
the investments uh, that we make at any point in time. And so uh, that 90% number, you know, we continue to see that, like uh, that's not likely to change in any particular time. Um, but we really think about the long-term, the investments that we're making now are paying off over a you know, two to three year period. Thank you. Your next question comes from Arjun Bhatia from William Blair. Go ahead, Arjun. Um, thank you guys for taking the question and uh, congrats on a great quarter. Uh, as you, you know, I know you guys addressed um, the macro a little bit in the um, uh, in the shareholder letter, but I'm curious as it relates to migration specifically, would you expect the shape of migration to change at all, just um, given given the macro situation? Do customers pause a little bit? Do they reconsider? Or do they say, hey, the total cost of ownership is there, and I'm going to go? full steam ahead. What are, what are you seeing and hearing from uh, from partners and customers on that front? Uh, this is Cameron, and I'll take that one. So as you know, this migration journey uh, has been going on for a couple of years now. You know, we, we announced the server end of life over 18 months ago and gave customers more than three years heads up on to make a decision on migrating to the cloud. So none of this is a surprise. Many are in a different stages of their planning whether that's from a technical perspective or budgetary perspective, and we are increasingly getting good at those conversations about, honestly, the, the larger ROI savings that customers get when they move to the cloud, you know, whether that's reducing administrative costs, their own hardware costs, and, of course, unlocking a ton of new innovation in our cloud. In addition to that, we've, uh, we have a Forrester Total Economic Impact Report where we've actually done deep research into the overall cost savings that customers get when they actually move to the cloud. So the short answer is, no, uh, our migrations plans continue as planned, um, and we are very, very happy with the results to date. And you saw a lot of that in our recent Q4 results. Your next question comes from Jim Fish from Piper Sandlot. Please state your question. Yeah, hey guys, this is Quentin. I'm from Jim Fish. Thanks for taking our question. You know, sticking to the demand side for just a second, is there anything you can call out from a geographic perspective in terms of weakness or relative strength? Uh, you know, looking at the numbers here, it looks like really strong growth across all geos, but wondering if there is one specific place that you're maybe keeping your eye on more than others. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Quinn. Um, Cameron here again. Yeah, uh, I'd say we are being exceedingly vigilant uh, across watching all stages of our funnel, whether that's migrations funnel, the additions, upgrades, retention rates, and, of course, our new customers coming in. Um, and this really set up with the Russia-Ukraine war uh, back starting in February. We have been keeping a very special eye in the EMEA region. Uh, the good news as of to date is we have yet to see any specific trend geographically or even in industry segments or in customer size that gives us pause or worry to date. So something we continue to watch like a hawk, uh, but there's no new news to uh, share today. Your next question comes from Greg Moskowitz from Mizuho. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you very much, and congrats on a very good quarter as well. Uh, has there been any change to the mix of products sold over the last few months, anything different with regard to uh, customer prioritization? Uh, and then just a quick clarification just to help everybody with their, their models, uh, if I may. I, I believe Consensus was projecting uh, data center revenue growth somewhere in the, in the low to mid-20s for fiscal 23, and, and, and given the comment in the shareholder letter about 
moderating growth after Q1 uh, being somewhat vague. I'm just wondering if you're able to tell us if you're comfortable at this time with uh, where those uh, consensus numbers stand. Thank you. Uh, this is Cameron. I'll speak to the mix. Uh, I'll let uh, our new interim CFO handle the second part of that question. Uh, as far as the overall mix, no, we have not seen any significant shift in customer demand across our product lines. Uh, I do have to continue to call out uh, the uh, strong demand we continue to see with JIRA service management uh, as one of our strongest cross-sell motions, uh, surpassing 40,000 JIRA service management customers to date. Um, and we just seem to have struck a vein there in the market with a very compelling offering that's uh, very feature complete, very easy to use, as well as uh, highly competitive from a pricing perspective. Uh, but that I don't want to take away from our other products. Jira Software, Confluence, Trello, you name it, continue to see strong demand across the board as we continue to see people uh, embracing digital transformation and needing tools to help ride the, you know, uh, take these large technical projects that they're running and our tools help manage those projects throughout, as well as this cultural transformation we continue to see as all of us are figuring out this new way of working, whether it's remote, back in the office, or hybrid. We continue to see demand for collaboration products uh, continue to be strong. And second half to Scott there. Yeah, just uh, your question around, uh, you know, DC chase of revenue. Again, just a reminder for those people new to the ITIN story, um, we have end of life our server offering, and, uh, you know, so they have to make a choice whether they move to our cloud directly or if they're, you know, have a longer process or a longer time frame, they might choose to move to data center as a stepping stone to moving to cloud. Um, and so we've been really happy again with all our migrations and, uh, Actually, happy about a, a third of our migrations come. We said that uh, our investor day, about a third of our migrations come from our data center customers already. And so we really, uh, you know, all directions head towards uh, cloud. Now, specifically in our shareholder letter, you know, we, we highlighted in terms of the data center revenue maintaining, you know, high growth uh, through uh, Q1 before moderating over the remaining three quarters. And we can't give any sort of more details than that, but really that's just to give you a hint to the seasonality that we might see over the next uh, four quarters uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how we think those migrations might uh, end up happening. Okay, thank you both. Your next question comes from Brent Phil from Jeffrey. Brent, please state your question. Uh, thank you. This is Love Soto on from Brent Phil. Um, wanted to ask a real quick question on, you know, margins this quarter. Um, it looks like, you know, there was, um, you know, an, an increase in investment on R&D, and it sounds like you're planning to continue that into the next year. Um, could you maybe give us some color into where these investments are being directed to? Thank you. Yes, uh, thank you for those questions. Uh, if we sort of starting out yesterday, um, we we have a, had a discussion with you, our shareholders, about the incredible opportunities we are seeing across our business, and those opportunities are kind of in every every corner of the business. And as a management team, we think long term, and we think about how do we invest behind those opportunities. And uh, you know, there are myriad of them, but a couple we've highlighted in the past are our customers migrating to the cloud. Um, we're seeing. Uh, incredible demand for that migration, and uh, if we can improve the throughput of those customers migrating to the cloud, that's great for them, and it's uh, great for us. Uh, we've also seen incredible demand for our ICSM uh, products uh, in, in that market, and uh, again, you know, there are some features we can add there, and getting our customers onboarded to those products is great for us and for them. And I can go on, 
Um, but as a result of all these opportunities, we made a decision to invest heavier behind uh, these opportunities than we had before. And as we said in our address today, that uh, we expect margins for FY23 to be in the mid-teens. And so those areas of investments are, as you mentioned, are largely in R&D. Um, you know, we are sort of really seeing um, uh, huge investments there because of the features and, you know, getting our cloud uh, to the stage where it can accommodate 100% of our customers requires some more features. You will also see some in, um, investments turn up in other areas of P&L because, for example, there are, you know, some hand-holding to get our customers across. Um, you know, that doesn't show up in R&D as well. That shows up in other areas in the P&L. So, Largely R&D, but you may see some other areas of the panel impacted uh, just to the way that we're helping our customers migrate. Perfect. Thank you. The next question comes from Alex Zukin from Wolf Research. Alex, please state your question. Perfect. Thanks so much. Hey, congrats on uh, on a great quarter. I guess maybe just two from, from our side. You know, when you think about the the – the macro impact that you are seeing in the business, I think you called out a slightly slower uh, conversion of free customers to paid customers. I guess in, in, when you when you dissect what, what's happening in the pipeline, why do you think that's the only macro impact you're seeing versus migration delays or versus longer sales cycles and the larger customers or, or not seeing, you know, kind of some of the other impacts that other companies are seeing? Is it, is it, like what have you? What are you learning in real time as you analyze the the data in the demand environment? And then I've got a quick, a quick follow up. Yeah, I, I can cover that first piece. Uh, this is Cameron again. So as you mentioned, uh, and you see this in our Q4 results, you know across the many funnels we operate, whether that's our migrations, our additions, upgrades, our cross sell of products, our overall retention, you know, continues to be exceedingly strong, um, and. And that's been great to see, and that's been supporting our net expansion rate we've already discussed on this call here. And largely what you see is existing customers continue to have demand for what our products do to help their teams work more productively uh, in the future. As far as that uh, slight thing that, uh, that we mentioned the shareholder letter, um, just so you all realize that we land all of our net new customers in free plans. And this is a relatively, we're about two years into this experience, but we continue to have many, many, many thousands of customers signing up, in free plans, and they either need to add an 11th user, which then they hit a pay gate, the 11th user, or simply they want more premium capabilities in our in our standard and premium additions. Those are the reasons people enter their credit card. And the one thing that's worth calling out that we've seen literally just in the last month is that the cohort of customers that came in in the April, May, and June timeframe are converting to those paid plans at a slightly slower rate than what we've seen in previous quarters. Now, I'd love to say that's you know, specific to a product or a geography or an industry. There's no specific customer segment there. It just seems that, in general, those cohort of customers that have been signing up in the last quarter are using the products. They're activating. They're getting value. But they simply just haven't put those credit cards and hit those paid walls yet. So that's one of those areas that we continue to be vigilant. We have multiple analytics teams, multiple growth teams, as well as our onboarding and R&D teams that are focused on ensuring that those customers remain active, and it gives us more chances to convert them to paid plans in the future. Um, that does not take away from the, you know, continued growth we see in our existing customer base that also drives more than 90% of our revenue in the existing year. Perfect. And, and I guess maybe just uh, going back to the data center uh, part of your business, the, the, the extraordinary growth that you're seeing, I think, accelerating growth in the quarter, 
Um, how much of that growth is from data center customers expanding versus, um, you know, understanding what the existing customers are growing like within data center to get a sense of the, the growth that you're seeing in data center coming from server migration to data center. In addition, and I apologize for the multi-part question, just the range uh, of migration activity uh, from data center to cloud versus server to cloud uh, in that 10 points of migration uh, as a driver for the 50% cloud growth. Gotcha. Uh, I think I can address that. So overall data center demand, I'll hit that first, and then we can talk about the server to cloud or data center to cloud uh, journey. So uh, you know, as we've already mentioned, this server end-of-life message we gave customers more than three years heads up. And what you see customers doing every quarter is increasingly optioning out of going to cloud, which obviously that's where we lead with. That's where we have been putting all of our incentives to get customers to go to the cloud so they get as most innovation as possible, or they can choose data center. And many choose, many are seeing either way, it's an increased investment and commitment to Atlassian long-term. And we see that, you know, those are two good decisions for customers. However, when those customers jump to data center, and we see this again and again, they're seeing that as just a, a stepping stone to that cloud journey. But it gives them more optionality down, down the time. And, of course, data center is a fantastic product. Um, so we uh, historically said it's roughly 30% of our cloud migrations come from data center customers. Uh, which proves that stepping stone statement. And I uh, don't specifically direct how much that drives into the overall 10% growth that we've shown that drives our overall cloud growth. So you can see roughly a third of our customers are coming from data center. Um, uh, that's all I have to share. Uh, Scott, did you have any doubt on that? Okay. Your next question comes from Adam Tyndall from Raymond James. Adam, please state your question. Okay, thank you very much. I just wanted to touch on the investment period and operating margin trends. You talked about mid-teens in fiscal 23 playing offense. I think you said lower in the second half of the year. I'm wondering, you know, if that's indicative of a multi-year period of investment here. You certainly earned the right to invest based on what we've seen so far. I just wanted to level set investor expectations since I think uh, Street is modeling improvement in fiscal 24, and I'm not sure if that's uh, consistent with how, how you're thinking about things. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Um, you said, I'm from my side, everyone, what we said back to our investor day, um, which is Atlassian has an incredible business model. And if you look historically over the arc of time, both before us being a public company and during the seven years we've been a public company, this business model does generate large amount of you know, free cash flow and uh, uh, margin returns. And so like, that's sort of the fundamentals that we uh, have in, in the business. And we look at the long-term opportunities, like they're more abundant than we've ever seen before, and that's the reason to invest. Now, in your you know, specific investment period, what we've said is that FY23 uh, is going to investment year, and we are guided to the mid-teens margins for FY23. We haven't given any guidance for FY24, and we'll be doing that at the uh, end of FY23. Your next question comes from Peter Weed from Bernstein. Peter, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so taking a look at uh, kind of your overall migration plan, I think you had originally uh, anticipated 
um, maintenance shrinking down a little bit more than maybe it's um, seen now, and, and you're talking about uh, a year from now getting to 75 million, which I think was maybe a little bit of a slower um, ramp uh, than at least I had been anticipating. Um, how are you seeing that that roll off of your existing customer base? Is, has it been stickier, and is it something where you're having to spend more time and effort um, encouraging customers to migrate? Uh, and how do you see that affecting uh, the curiosity of uh, the cloud migration itself? Yeah, uh, this is Cameron again. Uh, as we've mentioned, you know, migration demand remains very strong. You know, and that server customer base, they effectively have till February of 2024 to make a decision on uh, where they want to option out, whether it's going to data center or whether it's going to cloud. Obviously, we continue to remove any blockers or any reasons why customers would not adopt our cloud, and we give people plenty of incentives uh, along the way uh, to, to move to our cloud offerings. Um, the good news across the board is we continue to see retention rates uh, maintain high for the existing, the entire server customer base throughout this. So as we continue to see server renewals happen, uh, we see people opt out the data center and cloud. The good part there is we continue to see these customers continue remaining there loyal to Atlassian, and largely they're figuring out what the best technical and business decision long-term is for their companies. We have been focusing on cloud, and as we've already mentioned, we are largely in line with our migration plans to date. So we'll continue to be vigilant there over the next year as we uh, continue to incentivize our customers to choose cloud. And I think you've been investing in some cloud migration personnel. Do you, do you see that uh, being kind of like fully built out, or are you seeing that you're going to have to continue to expand that personnel to, uh, you know, see the success of the group? Uh, this is Cameron again. Um, yeah, so we have a dedicated cloud migration management and migration support engineers, as well as, as well as a dedicated migration tooling and a variety of people that can come and help these customers through the more technical migrations. We did make significant investments in the previous fiscal year across those teams, and we believe they are fairly stable to date and can handle the volume that's coming in over the next coming quarters. Thank you. Your next question comes from David. Stephen Koenig from SMBC NECO. Stephen, please go ahead. Greg, uh, hey, thanks a lot for taking my question. Um, so let's see, I'm wondering, uh, regarding your hiring and your investing that you've been talking about, um, your, your uh, comments on your plans to hire are, are certainly borne out, you know, by your, as we look at your job postings there, you know, remaining pretty solid, you know, whereas a lot of other vendors are, you know, cutting their hiring plans. Um, I'm wondering how is your hiring progressing relative to plan in terms of your um, your progress in finding the talent that you want? And then if I can just add a quick addendum, um, any, um, any tactical pricing adjustments of note since your February 15th price increase on server and data center? And that's all for me. Thanks very much, and congrats on a great quarter. Hey, Steve. It's, um, it's Mike here. I can take that as uh and it's in beginning a lot of product questions on today's call, so let me jump in and take one of the talent ones. Um, look, we've been we've been pretty clear, right, that uh, we're we're playing offense. Uh, we, we continue to tell that quarter in quarter out. Um, we're using this period of time to uh, uh, deepen our strategic position and increase the uh, the advantages we have over over the competition. Right, um, there's less VCs out there with wheelbarrows of cash funding competition. And so we think we, we have a really good opportunity going forward. Um, we also have spent a lot of time uh, retooling our hiring pipeline over the last two years and are really, really excited with where we stand at the moment. So we've had, I, I believe, our two 
uh, biggest quarters of hiring in the last two quarters, uh, and we uh, continue to do so. Do so. Obviously, we don't just look at the volume of hires, although that, that's sort of a, an absolute number marker. Uh, we continue to push quality uh, of, of the talent that's available, and we think that that will get easier in, in difficult circumstances. Uh, and also, uh, obviously, making sure that the cultural fit uh, and other things that are lacking, which is incredibly important uh, and incredibly difficult and a huge challenge for us to do as we, as we continue to scale. Um, there's no doubt, as Scott mentioned, uh, the majority of that hiring is going to R&D to try to, again, uh, deepen those strategic positions that we, uh, that we already have. Um, the last thing I would say is just a reminder that we, uh, we made the same or similar sort of play in the 2008-2009 period. Um, we paused for a little while then, and then we realized that we were uh, in a very strong position as a company relative to uh, the other companies out there. And so we uh, hired well through that period, and we saw the benefits of that for the three, four, and five years afterwards as we got a real updraft with uh, the products coming out and the results of those products. So uh, we believe we have massive opportunities in front of us in all three of our markets, uh, and as such, we're, uh, we're hiring behind them. That's great. Um, can you guys comment on any pricing actions uh, of note uh, in the last uh, you know six months since that February price increase? Yeah, uh, so this is Cameron. Uh, as you already mentioned, we did have price increases on our server and data center products in February. All of our pricing changes are made public, and we uh, across the board, and they're all uh, available on our websites for all of our customers, as well as we give our customers a, a relatively a decent heads up on these price changes so they can plan their budgets accordingly. Uh, no other price changes uh, uh, to mention, and our pricing strategy remains consistent. Great. Great. Well, thanks very much for the color. Your next question comes from Kate White from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead, Kate. Uh, thank you for taking the question. This is uh, Sanchez thing for, for Keith. Um, somewhat annoying, we had another question on sort of the, the case for in, investment. As we sort of look at where the business stands today, you have a, you know, a, 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 a $3 billion business. You have a quarter of a million customers, I think 10 plus monthly active users. And if you look at sort of where you're trying to take the business, getting to a million customers, 100 million monthly active users, expanding from developers and IT to um, line of business teams with the, with the work management um, initiatives. As you expand into these uh, newer markets and these longer tail of customers, are the unit economics from here going to be as attractive in, in ter versus what the business has built today to get to this three billion and quarter million customers? In terms, of, I was wondering if you could just sort of frame out how you think expanding into these. Um, into the into the longer tail of users and customers and product markets, what does that do to the sort of unit economics of the business? Sure, Mike, I can I can take that again. Um, look, I think obviously we feel um, bullish about our unit economics at the moment, and I don't see why that would change going forward. We've always been very uh, prudent stewards of capital in the business, and continue to invest in very high. ROI opportunities as we as we look forward. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned uh, some of our numbers there. Obviously, there are millions and millions and millions of businesses in the world. There are around or uh, approximately a billion knowledge workers. So we have a huge amount of expansion uh, possibility, even just inside our existing customers. Uh, as Cameron mentioned earlier, 
you know, we, we remain north of 130% in our NER numbers and north of 140% in the large customer segment. Uh, and we, we, we saw that again this quarter. And so from the point of view of expansion in those large customers, we have many, many millions of employees that we do not touch in those existing customers. And you see that in specifically in our work management segment where Trello, Confluence, and Atlas are continuing to get further and further into an organization and, and look uh, more to the wall-to-wall um, uh, access to, to wall-to-wall employees within those uh, companies. Um, I think the other thing I would say is that we continue to, as, as Cameron mentioned earlier, be incredibly focused on not just the unit economics of our funnel, the, the product-led growth funnel in terms of free and our evaluations and trials, and we're obviously incredibly well instrumented there, and we really understand uh, the value of spending a dollar on marketing or sales and the conversion rate and expansion through our customer base. We've got 20 years of experience doing this. Uh, I believe we're absolutely best in class and continue to improve and evolve every single year. We also uh, are really, really good at the, um, the enterprise and, and premium expansion activities when it comes to bringing in uh, more human power and more activity to expand customers across the product sets, and again, we've got a whole lot of new products coming out, uh, but also the um, same focus on uh, being uh, very, very capital efficient when it comes to those sales motions. Uh, we don't just take it in the, the automated product-led growth funnel. We take it at the same time in, in all of our sales activities. We're very proud of how we do that, and we um, have to keep raising the bar on that every year. I don't think long-term it should change the, the unit economics. I really appreciate the thoughts, and congrats on the great uh, data center and cloud subscription results this quarter. Thank you. Your next question comes from Ari Tajanian from Cleveland Research. Ari, please go ahead. Hi, Tim. Thanks for taking the question, and congrats on the great results. Uh, just wanted to double-click on the Deutsche Bank um, cloud deal that was called out in the press release or the shareholder letter. I was just hoping if you could provide some more detail on that opportunity. Is that, you know, migration complete, um, or is it just a signing? And, you know, what do you think caused them to pull the trigger? Because, you know, I know regulated industries, banking, Germany, Europe, you know, these are areas that are historically more hesitant to move to cloud. So I was just wondering if you could please provide some more color on that deal and um, if you think it could be a beachhead and, cause others in these geos and verticals to start moving. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so, Cameron, again, um, yeah, I was deeply involved uh, with uh, Deutsche Bank for quite some time. Back, you know, they've been a customer for many years. They have been a data center customer for many years, and we've been speaking about the cloud opportunity and journey with, with them for, for quite some time. Uh, but it shows, I think you, you nailed it right there. It's a you know, German bank, highly regulated, massive scale, like, you name it from a requirements perspective, they had it for our cloud. And it's a testament to the investments we've made over the last couple of years in performance and scale in regulated things like Banfee, specific financial services regulation requirements in Germany that allowed us to open up that door and have that serious conversation about getting them to the cloud. Uh, to answer your question, no, we have just started the cloud journey. We've largely they have, uh, checked all the boxes to get them to adopt our cloud, and we've started our migration planning to just begin moving their users and data. And that will be a multi-month or multi-quarter journey, the size of deployment and complexity that they have, as well as how mission-critical our applications are for the bank. I mean, they literally are running on us every single day, 
you know, many of our customers are saying that our applications are more important than email for getting their work done inside the organization. So it's something that we have to plan out very diligently with them, uh, but they've been incredible partners throughout uh, this uh, exploration of cloud, and we uh, are looking forward to having them 100% on the cloud in the uh, upcoming quarters. Thank you. As a reminder, if you have a question, please press star followed by the one. Your next question comes from Fred Havimeyer from Macquarie. Fred, please go ahead. Hey, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask about your net retention rate, because throughout this year you've been posting or, or discussing strong 130%, rather north of 130% cloud net retention rates. I saw in the uh, shareholder letter today that you noted that larger customers were topping 140% cloud net retention, or rather net expansion rate. So I wanted to ask, can you help to characterize what's driving that? Is that something that is a seat-based expansion, uh, cross-sell or upsell, reach into uh, non-technical departments, expansion with new technical departments? Anything to kind of characterize that and help us understand where this growth is coming from would be uh, greatly appreciated. Fred, I appreciate you asking the question. Yes, yeah, so the numbers you quoted uh, are correct, and I think we've uh, stated them now. From our investor day last year and, and, and reiterated some of them in our shareholder letter today. Now, if you think about a Latin's business model, it has been historically and continues to be a land and expand motion where we land inside a part of an organization, maybe a small team, a couple of different teams, or even multiple teams across the organization that maybe aren't even coordinated with each other. And from there, they see the incredible value in our products, and they expand on a number of vectors. And uh, those vectors are, they spend a number of seats, you know, maybe starting with one small team all the way up until, you know, large enterprise deployments, such like Deutsche Bank that we talked about with tens of thousands of seats. And so there's a, a seat aspect where, you know, you land and expand there. We also see that customers expand on a, uh, a product basis. So they start with one product. They then see the value that they've got. They, they come back to Alaskan and discover what other products uh, that we have um, and that can do uh, solve their problems and uh, how well that these products work together, particularly in cloud where, where they're deeply integrated. And so that is uh, that's another one. Uh, we we have uh, different additions now with uh, premium and enterprise, and so customers love the functionality and they want to you know, unlock additional functionality uh, in the products, and so they're willing to pay for our premium and, and enterprise versions uh, as well. Um, and I can go on, but one I want to touch on is also our third-party application marketplace. Um, we have uh, one of the best marketplaces in enterprise software, and customers can easily adopt uh, incremental functionality um, or whole new areas of uh, functionality in our marketplace. And so we see expansion across all of those uh, vectors um, in, in various ways, and there's not typically one specific uh, path that we see our customers take. Um, but we, we're very comfortable and feel very great about uh, that going forward, given how sticky our products are and, uh, you know, how much additional functionality they can unlock across the organization once they've started becoming a customer. Thank you. Um, if I can get another one in here, you wouldn't take up more time. I want us to also ask about scaling, because in the in the shareholder letter today, I think you also noted that 35,000 user cloud instances are now available to your entire customer base. And if I recall, getting to that scale has been a journey. And looking across the market, uh, some of the other project management tools that are out there have some 
difficulty scale, uh, really achieving scale for a large number of concurrent users. So I wanted to ask, what has that journey been like? And generally, what does it take to build such a, you know, highly scalable collaborative live project management tool? And uh, would you view that as a competitive mode? Uh, sure, I can, I can take that question. It's, it's my key. Look, um, there's no matter it's a testament to uh, R&D uh, teams and, and specifically the infrastructural engineering teams there uh, in terms of scaling our offerings in the cloud. Uh, there's a few things I would point to there. So a reminder for, for anyone listening, uh, with uh, a single instance of uh, JIRA software in the case that you mentioned there, uh, we started our cloud journey at about, I think, a 1,000 or 2,000 uh, seat range. Uh, we expanded to five, uh, then to 10. Um, I think we've ended 25, and now we've just GA'd 35, and I believe we have 50,000 in early access programs. So continuing to scale a single instance of Jira software. At the same time, uh, we've scaled lots of other parts of our, our backend infrastructure to uh, allow further increase beyond that amount in a single Jira software instance. Uh, so you see that in our enterprise edition where you get unlimited instances. So you can have lots of 35,000 uh, user instances at the moment. And obviously from an identity and scaling perspective, you can go uh, beyond there. Um, I, I would say it's really a testament to our continued investment in our, in our customers and the continued, um, you know, the uh, world-leading uh, amount of revenue that we spend on R&D uh, because this stuff is hard. It's just one of those problems that's very, very difficult. You need a lot of uh, hard work and discipline over a long period of time to continue to work out what parts of your infrastructure aren't scaling uh, and continue to obviously um, uh, be ambitious and push that ceiling upwards. Uh, we have many, many customers uh, on-premise and data center who are well beyond the 35,000 limit, so you won't see us stop there. We'll, we'll continue to push that limit uh, higher and higher as we work with those larger customers. Um, lastly, I would say it's a testament to the platform that we've built because most of that scaling doesn't actually happen in the Jira software world. Uh, it happens in the Elastic Cloud platform, uh, in our infrastructure layers below that, uh, everything from the networking layer all the way through to databases, uh, various shared services we have, et cetera, all have to scale to handle that, whether it's serving videos or whether it's uh, mentioning users, you know, collaborative software is all about connecting with other people on your team. Uh, so if you mention a user and it takes an awfully long time, it's a very poor customer experience and you get low customer satisfaction. So it's not just about scaling the sheer numbers, it's making sure that all the user experiences happen uh, at scale very, very fast. And, you know, there's huge amounts of smarts and AI and machine learning, for example, to make sure that when you mention a user, we we dig across your 35,000 uh, uh, employees and find the exact person that you're trying to find uh, with a couple of keystrokes as fast as we can. So, look, we spend an awful lot of time and effort on that, and we'll continue to do so, um, probably reflected in our, our NER and, and great cloud numbers uh, and more to come. Your next question comes from Tash Rangan from Goldman Sachs. Tash, please go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. I wanted to say congratulations on hiring, on the, not only the quarter, but hiring Jobin, a terrific, terrific executive. On, on that, on that thought, um, how comfortable are you with, with a new CFO of Joe's caliber coming in, uh, that you have reset the margins and that, uh, uh, that you, we can be very comfortable that you have factored in all possible investments that the company needs to make to achieve uh, this cloud transition? Because I would imagine that a new CFO coming in, uh, probably wants to, uh, to ensure that uh, the streets level set with respect to margin guide, uh, because 
Joe has a background at Microsoft, went through cloud transition. Uh, so I'm just wondering how, how, how did Joe get comfortable with the level of investments that have already been uh, spoken for and guided into the model? That's it for me. Thank you very much and congratulations. Thank you. This is uh, Scott here. I'll, uh, I'll answer that. Um, Mike and I have been around for 20 years uh, running Atlassian. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary uh, in the last few months. And we're in public for, for seven years. And whilst each individual CFO coming into Atlassian brings a whole bunch of their experience and their opinions around uh, you know, how we should work, their philosophy about how we run the business and how we set guidance and how we interact with you, our shareholders, in an open and transparent way, that is really set from Mike and I at the top. And so we're really excited for Joe to get here with his deep experience uh, with Microsoft, who we know they had their own uh, cloud transition. But uh, I don't expect there to be any material changes to the way we, we guide, to the way we invest, and, and the way we interact with you, our, our shareholders, as a result of that. Uh, and uh, I'm super excited to have uh, Joe on board because I think he's going to be a, a great uh, Addition to the team, I'm, I'm super excited about his ability to help us allocate capital across the amazing opportunities that we have in front of us. And uh, that's really, really exciting, given uh, he's done that extremely well at, uh, at his previous positions. Your next question comes from Michael Turret from KeyBank Capital Markets. Michael, please go ahead. Hi, this is Billy on for Michael. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Can you just give us an update on the regulatory work you've been doing around, you know, the public sector, FedRAMP, and maybe different industry verticals, and how much opportunity you think it's out there once you unlock these avenues? Oh, this is Cameron. I can speak uh, briefly to that. So, as we mentioned before, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, actually many years of our cloud platform, we continue to invest in not just scale, as Mike just mentioned, but all of the regulatory data and compliance requirements that our very, very diverse customer base has. And in addition to that, we've been able to knock off these, these cloud requirements, and you see this every single quarter, and every single quarter as we announce these new capabilities, a new cohort of customers gets unlocked uh, to start their cloud transition. Um, in addition to that, we do publish all of our future-looking roadmap in this, in this uh, area up on our public cloud roadmap, and that gives just increasing confidence for our customers so that they can plan ahead as well as engage with our teams on, you know, uh, when they should actually start their migration journey. And that's been a, a critical part of our overall conversation going forward. Um, so we've done HIPAA in the last just 12 months, HIPAA, BANFI, we have all of our SOC 2 compliance, and we continue to have additional requirements across the board. Um, and we are continuing to our work on FedRAMP. Our federal customer base is significant. And we do have customers across the federal customer base, all on server and data center today. Great part there is the you know overwhelming majority of those agencies uh, actually have cloud-first mandates. Like all of them are simply looking for uh, the, abil the ability to go to cloud, and we continue to invest in our cloud platform to hit up those specific requirements. But it doesn't stop with FedRAMP. There's still many other specific industry-related regulatory efforts that we will continue to invest in. Um, in addition to that, I do want to call out our Forge platform, which was our new capability to allow marketplace apps to be run within the Atlassian cloud infrastructure. This has opened up even more opportunity for our customers to build and deploy apps, as well as our marketplace partners to build apps and have them basically secured within the cloud platform, giving our customers even more confidence if they're in highly regulated industries. 
Thank you. And that concludes our question and answer session. I will now turn the call over to Mike for closing remarks. Thanks, everyone. Um, just thank you for joining the call. Two, two small things before we uh, sign off here. Firstly, uh, congratulations to Scott on uh, his interim CFO role. I think he did, he did a fine job today. Uh, we're super excited to have Joe uh, join to take the wheel. Uh, barrowing any emergencies, we look forward to uh, him joining us on our October call. Secondly, as you saw in our shareholder letter, uh, building on the success of Team 22 earlier uh, last quarter, we'll be holding unique events now uh, tailored to each of our markets. So we'll kick things off in September, uh, on the 29th of September in San Francisco in the Chase Center with a work management specific event uh, that we're calling Work Life. Uh, so please come uh, check it out and see how teams can work differently together. With that, thank you everyone for joining our call today. As always, we really appreciate all of your continued support, helpful questions. And last but definitely not least, thank you to all the Atlassians on a fantastic, uh, fantastic year. We will talk to you all next quarter.